Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast, show number 160, Finance Friday Edition, where we interview Court Johnson and talk about FI with a big family. It's really it's playing to your strengths if you are going to do something like that. It's you don't just do it and, and buy a bunch of cheap headphones or something, right? That's that's the thing that people do a lot of when it comes to that. It's you play to what you know. Where have you worked? How can you help people? Because while you worked, you knew that this was a problem. So as when I worked as a welder, there were certain things that I knew would make my job easier. And and now I've found those things and I've tried to get them to those people. And so I think that's uh when it comes to maybe growing a business or doing something, it's it's what's a problem that you personally have had and how do you solve that? Because someone else probably has the same one. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen. And with me as always is my index fund investing co-host, Scott Trench. Ah, that's only an average introduction, Mindy. (laughs) We'll return with a better one next time. Okay. (laughs) Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else and show you that by following the proven steps, you can put yourself on the road to early financial freedom and get money out of the way so you can lead your best life. That's right. Whether you want to retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or simply get ahead with a family of six, we'll help you build a position capable of launching yourself towards those dreams. We are back with our second episode of the Finance Friday edition of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. I'm super excited for these because this shows listeners how other people are handling their finances. We go through and we look at your income, your expenses, where you are investing, and make suggestions based on our uh, multiple decades of experience handling money. My attorney makes me say, the contents of this podcast are informational in nature and are not legal or tax advice. And neither Scott nor I nor Bigger Pockets is engaged in the provision of legal tax or any other advice. You should seek your own advice from professional advisors, including lawyers and accountants, regarding the legal, tax, and financial implications of any financial decision you contemplate. That's right. Mindy and I are just entertaining you, not informing you. Now let's go talk to Court about how he should manage his money. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When it comes to financial guidance, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets, we turn to NerdWallet. Scott's right. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, Mindy and I were paying for vacations in cash, missing out on miles, and not even knowing what we're leaving on the table. But now we're flying through the skies for free, thanks to our new cards with more miles and upgrades than ever. So if you want more travel rewards, hotel upgrades, or airport lounge access, no matter where you go next, let NerdWallet help you make it happen with a killer travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval, and terms of each credit card issuer apply. Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company that has a great track record. 
the BAM Capital executive team has successfully navigated through the Great Recession, COVID-19, and the current interest rate environment while delivering maximized returns to their partners. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator with over $1.3 billion in transactions, delivering a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has consistently paid preferred return distributions for over 50 consecutive months, has not lost limited partners' capital, and has not called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital's disciplined investment strategy is targeting undermanaged institutional quality trophy assets throughout the U.S. heartland for accredited investors who are looking for generational wealth building or monthly income opportunities. Their offerings target cash flow stability, capital preservation, long-term appreciation, and accelerated tax benefits. Join BAM Capital's over 1,200 investors across 44 states and get started today at BAMCapital.com. Again, that's BAMCapital.com. Court Johnson, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast Finance Review episode. I'm so excited to talk to you today. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. This is going to be a lot of fun. Court Johnson is a married father of four. He is an industrial engineer. And uh, to correct Scott from episode 149, where he says that nobody likes to uh, track their money, Court positively lives for it. Court's wife is a stay-at-home mom, but they have six sources of income. Let's take a look at your finances. Let's talk about your income and those six streams of uh, additional income or five streams of additional income. I guess you count one as your W-2. Yeah. So when I first read the quote or the uh, saying that the average millionaire has seven sources of income, I thought, okay, well, if I want to be a millionaire, I have to have seven sources of income. And so I made that to be a goal. And uh, one of the things that we've tried to do is to diversify where our income is coming from. And, th- and those are really small sources. The majority of our income does come from my W-2 job as an industrial engineer, but we do a lot of things on the side. So my wife is just absolutely remarkable. And she's like, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. This is something I want to do to our four children, but I want to be a stay-at-home mom and earn some money. So what are some ways that we can earn some money? And so we have done, it seems like everything under the sun, but one of our it's kind of funny. One of our uh, prime sources of income or primary source of income outside of my W-2 job is we actually raise rabbits for 4-H. And in doing that, we've been able to have some months where we make a couple thousand dollars, just depending on 4-H shows. Now with the pandemic here, they've kind of slowed down. But uh, other, other months, we've been able to um, earn just a few dollars. And we use that as some of our fund money. So that's one of our other sources of income. The next source of income that we have is we actually started an online dropshipping business. And so we recently did that during the pandemic when we thought, well, people are switching to online. What's something we can do while we're sitting in bed after we put the kids to bed that uh, doesn't entail us just sitting there watching TV? How can we improve our life? And so um, we've been able to earn a little bit off of that, although it's still kind of getting started. And so it's a little bit of a slower one. Third source of income that we have is... I, before I got a degree, I was a welder. And so still on the side, I post on Facebook and Craigslist and I say, I offer welding services to people. And so that technical skill that I learned way back in high school, I've been able to use on the weekends and I use it to uh, get us a little bit of extra fun money. And then the next source of income that we have is we started saving some money and using it to invest. And we've earned a little bit in dividends. And when I talk about the seven sources of income or the six that we have, most of them are very, very small amounts, but we're hoping that those will add up. And then 
We also rent out a trailer, and this is something new that we started because we live in Idaho. So we rent out a camp trailer. And uh, the reason why we do that is because I have a friend who once the pandemic started, everybody went camping and he made $6,000 this summer. And so we decided to rent out our trailer. And so, so we have a lot of sources of, of income. Most of it comes from my W2 job, but we do a lot of little things on the side that contribute to the kind of life we like to live too. So they're not really uh, burdens for us to do those. Awesome. And well, how, uh, can we get a, a ballpark understanding of your income from your W2? Yeah, I make about $70,000. Great. And then what are your expenses? How, how, how would you walk, can you walk us through those and, and let us know on annual or what does that 70,000 translate to monthly? And what are your monthly expenses? Maybe that's a better way to, to think about it. Yeah, so, so monthly, just, just under $6,000 a month. I do sometimes get bonuses. And usually actually my bonuses have made my income a little bit higher recently. But uh, then as far as our expenses, we are typically right around $5,000 a month for our expenses. And I keep track of all of our expenses in an Excel file that goes back three years. And so I can say that pretty confidently that we are about $5,000 for expenses. Wonderful. And do you feel that within those expenses, are there, you know, I, we won't have to dive too deep into them because of the fact that you track them implies to me that you have pretty good command over your budget and your spending if it's that consistent. But is there, do you feel that there's any leverage that we should dive into there um, or any areas that you think are important to understand in the context of your, your personal finances? Yeah. One of the things I've always wondered about is when you start looking at a lot of the numbers, um, provided by, I think that the government has some different census numbers and things. The cost to raise a family, it seems so, it's, it's really hard to find information about what other people are doing. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to be on the show is it's really hard to find out, okay, I've got four kids. How are other people with four kids living? Because when I tell people a little bit about like our grocery budget or things, they're like, oh, wow, how do you do that? You know, And so I would like to know a little bit more about how other people are spending when they have a large family. Mm. Okay. So, so you do think that there's leverage in your, in your spending in particular that will help you drive your, your, your wealth position forward. Is that, is that right? I yeah, I do think really. there's some areas that we can cut for sure. Okay, great. Great. Then that, that, that will be, that's, that's good there. Then we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on that. I also want to walk through some of these income ideas and help with the framework around that because it seems like you're dedicating a lot of energy to that. And there's probably some leverage there um, between you and your wife as well. Can you walk us through your assets and debts? Yeah, so pretty pretty typical uh, family, I would say. Uh, we we consider one of our bigger assets to be our 401k. And that's something we do max out every single year. Um, and I haven't spent a lot of time learning about investing only about the last three years. And so I still don't exactly know. So the 401k, we, we have about $140,000 in that, I think. And then we have about $20,000 in a Betterment account. Um, again, one of those things I didn't know a lot about investing. I found this is a nice, easy way where I could just put money in and not have to think about it. So do have about $20,000 in the Betterment account. And then I don't know if we want to call it an asset depending on, but we have our house with about $100,000 in equity in our home. Sometimes asset, sometimes liability, just depending on who you're talking to right there. So, so that's, that's what our asset allocation looks like. And then as far as cash in the bank, we, we keep about three months. The reason why we keep a pretty low amount is because we live in an area with about a 2% unemployment rate. And because we do have so many skills, I, I can get a job almost anywhere as a welder. 
and still maintain our family. So great. That's a, uh, that's awesome. Any debts against that? Yep. So we, we have our mortgage and then we do have one car payment that is about, I think it's $286 a month. And then we do have a payment on our camper. And again, we, we have the cash maybe to pay both of those off, but because of our kind of financial situation, we got such low interest rates. We were trying to decide if it was worth paying those off or not. And because we do use the camper as a, as an asset, since it is sitting there and it does earn us money some months, we, we decided not to pay that off right away. Great. Last kind of, uh, uh, I guess the big question here is like the, the, the specific goal, what is, what is it that you're looking to achieve and what's your kind of timeline for that with your finances? Yeah. So I, I discovered the uh, fire community about three years ago. So I was a little bit late to the game. I discovered it when I was 30, I'm 33 now. I already had three kids at that time. And I thought, Oh boy, I, can, I don't know if I can do all the things that the fire community is doing, but I was like, but this sounds really, really cool. These are my kind of people. Even if I'm late to the game, I discovered them maybe a little bit late. And uh, again, not that late because I'm only 33, but uh, what I'd like to do is be able to spend more time with my family. That's, that's my priority is okay. How can I spend more time with my family and make sure that my children have the kind of life that maybe I didn't have growing up? Because I grew up in a single family or a single income, single parent family where uh, my mom didn't have a lot of time with me as a kid. And so I want to be able to have time with my children is my number one goal of my uh, finance journey. Awesome. Love it. So I have some questions. You said that you have a rabbit breeding business for 4-H and 4-H has been affected by COVID. Is there any opportunity to increase this to other avenues? I know that some people eat rabbit. So is there any opportunity to breed rabbits for local restaurants or uh, something like that? Samwise Gamgee? I yeah. is that is I'm sorry I'm just, I'm just I do a lot of people eat uh, rabbit. <laughs> I don't know some people eat I don't eat it but some people do I'm not here to judge people who eat uh, rabbits enough, I'm here I'm just, to I'm just trying help to court like, find uh, more places to generate income. Um, or is there another animal that you could breed to generate income? So because I live in city limits and I live on about a quarter of an acre lot. I can't get a lot of other animals, but I'm glad you brought that up, Mindy, about uh, possible meat sales. I, w- I didn't want to say that maybe without somebody bringing it up first, but um, oh. yeah, so I, m- I make a lot more off of the 4-H animals and I, I like that because then it gets the kids involved, but the ones that I don't sell to 4-H, I actually have a local person who takes them to a butcher and he will take them for about $1.50 a pound. So no matter what, I do make money off of them but I'd rather sell them for 30 or $40 to a 4-H person that's going to use them and win prizes than uh, tell them to the, the butcher. But yes, the butcher will actually buy them from me. So no matter what, I can at least earn about 5% over my costs at the lowest. Okay. I, I, you look, I've been, I've been, I made a couple of mistakes here. I'm humbled here with that. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't realize that was a thing and wow. Yeah. Scott's there a city go. boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what about chickens? Are there any re- uh, restrictions on your house in your area for chickens? Because eggs are a big source. I mean, I don't know about oh, Idaho, but in Colorado, I can get farm fresh eggs for the low, low price of $7 a dozen, which is, yeah, ridiculous in my opinion. But so I'm not getting farm fresh eggs. And I live in a neighborhood that doesn't allow chickens. So I actually petitioned our city council to allow chickens. Unfortunately, they only allow four. So we do have five because we just 
had one that uh, I assumed would die. But yeah, we do we do chickens as well, actually. But the eggs are such a small amount that I almost didn't consider it income. Okay. Do do you sell the eggs? We do. Okay. Uh, more trade them, but yeah, we 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 sell them or trade them for other things. So. Oh, that's a good that's a good trade off. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I didn't even mean to make a joke like that, Scott. Um, and you said that you're drop shipping items on online. What is it that you're drop shipping? So we've mostly started with outdoor gear. A really cool thing about drop shipping that we learned, and we just picked this up during the middle of this pandemic because we just thought, wow, this is where the market is headed is e-commerce. The really cool thing that we've learned is that you really want to just, when it comes to drop shipping, drop ship what you know. So we do outdoor items because we live in an outdoor area and then I do welding supply items. And I've actually had a lot of good success selling welding supply type stuff and industrial stuff because of what I know. I know outdoors and I know welding. And so those are the things that we found do well. My wife knows things that mothers like. And so she's doing well with that. But That is probably the best piece of advice if you're looking to start a business or like a dropshipping business. Do what you know. Don't try to go do something weird that you've never heard of, but you think it might make money because you could be stepping into a big pile of rabbit dung. Sorry, I'm not as good as Scott. No, I I think it was great. Um, I'm trying to think. That was was, kicking out the jokes. Moving on from these bad rabbit puns. Um, (laughs) On the income front, if I'm zooming back out here and thinking through this, it, it's it seems to me you have the right mentality. I love it around wanting the seven income streams uh, and getting towards those. I have personally have about seven income streams with that, and I think it's a great goal to to move towards that. But I will. It appears to me, and I want to get more context in this that you might it might be better serving to focus really heavily on one and getting that to be meaningful, stabilizing it. And then moving on to the next one and the next one and the next one at that. Is that how you're approaching it? Or are you kind of trying your hand at, at a bunch right now and seeing what sticks? Or what, what's kind of the, the goal there with these income streams? I, I would say, Scott, you're probably right. The way we should do it, we should probably focus on one. We, we tend to kind of move around with those quite a bit. Now, the rabbits, we've been doing that for about 11 years the welding, obviously, I've been doing that all throughout. So so these are things that I've, I feel like I've kind of mastered but not learned how to scale. And that's the really critical part. There's These are all things that, yeah, I can do them, but if I stop doing them tomorrow, there goes the income. So they're really not very passive. Mm-hmm. Which one of your income streams that you're approaching right now, or do you think it has the potential to be scaled and made passive within the next year or two? Within the next year or two, I wouldn't say maybe any of them. Ultimately, uh, one of the things I kind of failed to mention in my goals is I'd like to own my own fabrication shop. And so that's one that I think within the next 10 years has a really good chance of becoming a lifelong way of earning money, um, having people work for me, teaching people and uh, doing some fabrication there. So that's that's probably the one that has the, the biggest potential in the shortest amount of time, I would say, due to my circumstances. Great. So it, it okay. So so what I'm I'm gathering here is that your your main source of income is your job. Everything mm-hmm. else can contribute, and sometimes it sometimes you do get nice boosts from it. But it's not really your path out. It's not really your path towards accelerating phi in a meaningful way. This this potential business is really what you think is your potential to to accelerate your your financial wealth as your big bet at some point in the future. Is that is that a good summary? 
Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is develop enough to replace my W-2 job now so that I don't have to worry if I were to go out on my own and be like, oh, I can't feed my family because that's the most important thing to me right now. Walk me through with the welding. What is that? Is that is that effectively trading your time for money as a as a well in, in doing welding, like specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I charge people generally an hourly rate, and it, it does really well. But it would be really nice if I was the one teaching other people how to do the welding, so that they could be the ones to go out and trade their time for the money. Love it. And so, so let me ask you this: If you were to do welding full time right now. What would that look like from an income perspective? Have you thought about that? Yeah, if it was just me, good chance I could go out there and probably make eighty to ninety thousand dollars a year. So just me by myself, that's that's a pretty realistic number there. But uh, that's about the limit you're going to get with that. Okay, great. Thank you for that. So, so it sounds like you do have multiple career options right now, and then. Again, I, I just asking about the income side because it seems like there's some leverage here, but not a chance to double it in the near future meaningfully or whatever. And that the way to do that would be to begin working towards this potential goal of starting that that business that you just outlined. Is that right? Am I right in thinking that in terms of how you're assessing the situation? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right there. Okay, great. So I think from my perspective, that brings us back to the expense side of the equation. And the reason for that is it seems like if that's the goal, if the goal is to spend more time with the family and potentially build this business, at, you know, or build towards a business, then by cutting back on the expenses and building up that nest egg and making sure that you are very comfortable with the, that, that, you know, moving towards that thing of like, when is, I'm, I, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm making this up right here, but I'm assuming several things, but it sounds like there's a trajectory coming together of moving generally over the next couple of years in the direction of being able to start that business and piling up enough funds to have a, a good capitalization for something like that. Is that generally right? Am I putting that together correctly? Yep, yep. And so part of the reason why we've, we, we do so many little things, right, is we're, all, we're trying to contribute all of these little things, either in cutting our expenses or increasing our income slightly so that we have enough, so that, we, you know, you talk about in your book, the uh, financial runway, basically, so that mm-hmm. if I start a business that doesn't work for the first year or two, which is pretty standard, we wouldn't be left out on the street. Love it. That's a really crystal clear vision. And I think it's fantastic with that. And so from that, I love it. You're doing, you're doing all the right things conceptually with this on, the, on, uh, on both sides of these. We've just dived into the income front and it sounds like you kind of know what to do there in order to optimize your income. Keep trying these different things. Really think it through what's scalable, what you can focus on, what can either generate a ton of income in the short run or be, provide scalable income in the long term to offset that and keep saving up that, that money. Do you want to turn to expenses here and walk us through what you think, what you're spending there and how we can get going on that? Or Mindy, you have I a wanna, question? Yeah, I want to jump in really quick here because I think that we might be missing a bit of an opportunity in the dropshipping aspect. The rabbit thing seems to have like been put on hold, but it also seems like you recognize this and aren't investing a lot in baby rabbits or however you get rabbits to yeah. you know continue <laughs> selling them right now. But dropshipping, for those who aren't listening, and correct me if I'm wrong, Court, but dropshipping means that you don't take possession of the product. You sell it through some other third-party website, and then somebody ships it to that person. And you're not really taking, you don't have like a garage full of welding supplies that you're trying to sell. Is that correct? 
Correct. So you talk to wholesalers and manufacturers, and then they will ship it out for you. And you you set up kind of a a business need with them. You have to set up an LLC and be official. And once doing that, then you set it up and just say, hey, I'm going to be fulfilling orders. What's your minimum order quantity? And if it is one, then you can use that wholesaler or that manufacturer to send that to somebody else. And they'll buy it off of eBay, Amazon, Facebook, um, kind of the places. Those are the big places where people are buying stuff or a Shopify store. Okay. So it seems like you do the setup once. And then it just keeps repeating the sales afterwards. You don't have to continually set up the product and continually uh, interact with customers, correct? Yep, that is correct. And so that's a lot more scalable than just some of the other side things that we're doing. Yeah, that seems like an opportunity to really look into that. And you know, what does it cost you to add one product to your line on eBay or Amazon. I'm assuming that it costs very little or almost nothing to add another product. Yeah, just just to add the item typically is is a dollar or two. Okay, and then that just continually sells. It's not a dollar every time you sell it. It's a dollar to add the item and then you right. sell. And then they take the fee if it sells, but just to, to make a posting or a listing or something like that, it, it typically costs you anywhere from 20 cents to maybe $2. Okay. So that seems like an opportunity for your wife who is a stay-at-home mom to you know add things, maybe you make the welding decision. So you add widgets 1 through 5. Hey, honey, I would like these added to the the list. She adds those every week. She adds five more items or 10 more items and that's just another thing that could be sold that you're not touching, that you're not doing anything with, but is still potentially generating income. Scott, I don't know any place to go research this information. Do you know of a a drop shipping like a drop shipping course? My, my instinct tells if I Google it, I'm going to find a lot of people offering oh. to sell information on that topic. And it's going to be hard to tell who's... How do you find information, Court? So far, trial and error, because there is a lot of people that are selling courses. We actually bought one to start and got lucky with it. Um, but it was $100. But then I've seen a lot of other ones where people say they got burned really bad. And so I, I wouldn't really say go and buy something off the internet. Because like you said, Scott, there's so many people out there that that think that they're doing it semi-successfully. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable making a course about it even now, but uh, there's there's a lot of people out there that definitely will sell you something that may or may not work. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not familiar enough with the concept by its specific uh, dropshipping um, business line there, but I, will, I, I am interested to see, Court, how you feel about the scalability of that business line. I, I think of all of the things that we're doing, that is the most scalable thing that we are doing right now that we, we could turn into something. And, and another reason why it works for us is because I, I failed to mention earlier, but I actually used to manage a welding supply store. So I already knew contractors and wholesalers and people. And so again, it's, it's stick to kind of what you know a little bit that gave me maybe a little bit more edge than somebody who's just researching this for the first time. Great. Well, my, my encouragement here would be to Look, you're doing all these different things, which are, are, are sucking a lot of time. And your time is valuable. You're, you're an engineer and you have multiple sources of income with this stuff. Make sure that you're really being calculated about that and saying, hey, this dropshipping business, I'm investing my time in it because it's scalable. 
And it's more or less valuable than these other income streams that I'm working on right now. I'm going to make sure that my time is being directed towards this. You know, we, we just had a similar conversation about um, the value of time recently as well on show 158. But it, it's it's about really understanding like, hey, if my time is worth, I don't know, $35, $40 an hour, and I'm not going to do $10 an hour work unless it is... Prov- I might I might work for free to build a scalable income stream later because you know I'm not getting value I'm not getting paid right now but I'm going to get paid downstream. But understanding like hey if if some of these income streams are taking too much time and the dollar per hour is too low, how do you translate that to the ones that you think are the the best opportunities and set really specific measurable goals for those income streams? Perhaps job shipping. I also want to explore the welding a little bit. Is this like industrial welding, repair type welding, or is this artistic welding? So the, the welding that I do is, is kind of anything and everything for people. Generally, though, it's more artistic. When you get into industrial, you have to have insurance and other, you actually have a business set up, you know, have insurance and licensing and other things. And so the welding that I do is generally just people needing minor repairs or some artistic things, so... Do we want to position to the expense side of things? Yes, let's look at your expenses because you can't uh, change your finances if we don't look at your expenses first and see if there's anything to cut. Yeah, and I think that that's beneficial to look at the expenses because, again, not a lot of resources out there for people that have four children to understand, okay, what do these kids really cost me and reduce some of that. So, This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my 9-to-5 job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single-family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, sometimes forgot to cancel my subscriptions? 
I know it's horrible. $10 here, $15 there. My useless subscription bills could have taken my whole family out to dinner multiple times. Rocket Money can make all that subscription sadness suddenly vanish. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. You can see all your subscriptions in one place and cancel money-sucking subscriptions with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. Saving for a down payment, a wedding, or just looking for extra money to invest? Monarch Money turns your budgeting woes into wins. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best budgeting app overall. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it easy to manage your money like a pro. Add a partner or family member to your account for no extra cost. So combined finances become a breeze. Customize your budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions, and more. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash pockets. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash pockets for your extended 30-day free trial. Let's start with the big three, housing, transportation, and groceries. Can you walk us through what you're doing for housing and whether you think there's opportunity to cut that? Is Have you considered house hacking and other types of things or what's on the table and what's not with your, with your housing for you? Yeah. So when it comes to housing, we do live in a six-bedroom house. And because of where we live in Idaho, a six-bedroom house costs about $180,000. And so for most people, I don't think that they're going to be able to find something that's quite priced that low. But one of the reasons why we got our house as cheap as we did is we we chose to live on the busiest street in town. And so we, because of our credit scores and things, we were able to purchase a house probably twice as much as what we did buy for. So we, we bought a house on a busy street where it's a little bit less desirable. And I feel like that has helped to decrease our housing expense pretty significantly. Okay, great. So, I mean, look, you have four kids. I, I don't think that oh, there's a lot more you can really do on the housing expense that occurs to me on that front in the short run. But Mindy, what are you thinking about that? No, I think that that is probably going to be the best. I mean, you could house hack. You can. I mean, do you want to move into a smaller house? No. And frankly, when did you buy the house? About three years ago. Okay, so it's probably appreciated in the last three years, meaning other houses have also appreciated. So you're not going to be able to get another house for less now. It doesn't make any sense to do anything with this house right now other than continue to live in it. I am not a big fan of buying on a busy street simply because it is less desirable and it is more difficult to sell. You will most likely sell for less, but also you bought it for less. So- you know, there's a trade-off. Do you have a big backyard for the kids to play in? We do. Okay. And that's, you know, that's better than them playing in the street. 
Yes, exactly. <laughs> Your, let's see, food. I would expect a family of four to be, I'm sorry, a family of six to be having a lot of food and you're, you've got a $700 grocery budget? Yeah, and that's, that's groceries and like toilet paper and bath soap. They're all that's $175 a week. How do you live off of that? Yeah, what are you so, eating, rice and beans and peanut butter and jelly? No, we actually eat pretty good. Um, you know, you guys were asking me because I sent my food bill over there and um, said, well, what happened in July? We bought a beef cow. And so in doing that, we were able to buy beef for roughly, I think I think I spent 280 a pound. And that will last us for about six to nine months. And so definitely the the buying in bulk is, is a big thing there for us. Um, the other thing is we do live in Idaho, so potatoes are free. You can find potatoes literally anywhere. <laughs> so a lot, a lot of meat and potatoes in our family. Fair enough. So look, it, it looks it looks like you've very kindly provided a lot of this detail. And so I was able to kind of look through it and say, hey, home, you've got some home expenses, you've got some mortgage expenses, you've got pets, you've got taxes, utilities. And that, that all adds up to about 33, 35% of your overall spend there. And it seems like you're very reasonable with what you've chosen for your housing and in terms of cost and very, very cost conscious, went well below your means and those types of things. There's always ways to hack that off by even downgrading or house hacking or those types of things. But it sounds like, you know, what's, what is your thoughts on that? Are you feeling pretty good about that? Or do you feel like that's something that you, about your current housing situation, or do you feel like that's something you want to explore in more depth? Yeah, you know, like like our current housing situation, we we could move into something smaller, and we've actually considered um, possibly just buying a new house every year or two and using that, and then saving the other house because we are able to save as much as we save. And so we've thought about that as a as a house hacking strategy that we can get them all at you know that five to ten percent down as opposed to putting maybe twenty percent down. And so we're we're in the process right now of trying to find that great deal so that we could possibly do that and then keep this next house as a rental. I got to check my assumptions here because it seems like everything's on the table for you. And that is one. And I love that. That's a, that's a potentially great strategy. You're going to have a unique set of characteristics as a landlord with six bedroom houses, for example, in places like that. So I would just encourage you to do some do some research, look around and say, who, who else is renting properties with that many bedrooms in this area? How is that difficult, different or more difficult or less difficult? Or what are the, there's going to be advantages and disadvantages too. Yeah. Um, and one of the renting. things that we were looking at doing while we were here in the house is actually splitting because we have an upstairs and a basement, splitting those into two different levels because most people don't need that much room. And then we could go ahead and split this and make it into a multifamily and do the same thing. And so that's what we're looking for with our next property currently is we're looking for a property that we could split into another multifamily because most people don't need the rooms that we have. You rock. That's something that a lot of people, I I wonder if a lot of people with large families would be willing to consider. And I think that's a fantastic thing that, you know, again, doing the big pie chart of your expenses, this is the big one on it. And if you can find a way to, to, you know, get a tremendous amount of that back by converting the house into an asset every time you move, that's going to make a major difference over a period of three, five, 10 years after you do this a couple cycles. And that causes me to rescind my comment about not liking busy streets because multifamily properties are typically found on busy streets and uh, zoning I have found is more lenient on a busy street the the city will be more lenient with allowing you to rezone the property 
um, in most cases. I don't know. Have you checked the zoning on this property? Yeah, yeah, I have. And uh, it's something that we could do. Like I said, I just am trying to find a way to convert it. We have a upstairs and a basement. So I would have to add a, a kitchen to the basement. But uh, and in looking at our next house, we've been here for three years. Like I mentioned, our next plan is to find the next house and we won't settle for a house that we can't also split into a multifamily. So that's our next goal. Wonderful. Oh, that's, a, that's a fantastic plan there. Are you going to do the work yourself? Yes, and with a friend, but I am pretty handy. Like I said, I, I come from a welding and, and somewhat construction background when I was right out of high school. Nice. Love it. That's that's going to have, an, you know, I would be interested to see, you know, maybe that's something to use where you, you do a, an analysis on your home or whatever, and you see what what is it worth today? What's it going to be worth after I make these changes? What's the cash flow going to be? There might be a really high dollar per hour leverage of your time in, in that conversion process as well. So that, that might be a really, when you're thinking about ways to concentrate your time on these income streams, wow, turning your housing into an income stream could be a particularly big one for you. I would also look into bartering your welding services with other tradesmen who don't have the welding services. So an electrician, if you don't do electricity or plumbing, but I think you would do plumbing. Do you do plumbing? I've never really tried it. I, I unclog the toilet a lot because I have four kids and... <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot of toys end up in the toilet. <laughs> Don't tell Scott. He thinks kids are easy. That's right. No problem. Uh, no, no toys have ever ended up in this in the toilet. Never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, Scott, it's super easy. So, you know, bartering your skills and services with tradespeople who don't have the same skills or services is an excellent use of your time. Then you start to grow your network. And then when you have an issue, you can contact an electrician who will actually call you back. It's nice. Scott and I were just having this conversation earlier about how it's difficult to get a contractor to call you back. Yes. I I think you've got a great plan for housing and I I wouldn't add too much to it, frankly, from my perspective about it, other than kind of the great points Mindy made. But at the highest level, your strategy seems incredibly sound and I think is really effective. And I think your kids are going to learn a lot as you do this about why you're doing it and the power that it has over your lives. Let's move on to car and transportation here. That seems like another big one for you. Um, do you do a lot of commuting for work? No, I, I go about three miles. So I, I do generally ride my bike most places. You know, I know that's a, a big one that people talk about, but unfortunately we haven't figured out, let's, we've, we figured it out. We just haven't uh, wanted to get rid of the second car yet. With, uh, with, with a large family, of course, comes a large vehicle. And my wife is a big fan of minivans. I'm not. And so it's, uh, unfortunately, I, I should sell my SUV, but I haven't yet because we use it to pull the trailer. But we have such a small camp trailer that our minivan could pull it. So I do plan on possibly getting rid of that SUV because when I go to work, it's just me. And on the days where I don't ride my bike, I'm driving a huge vehicle even though it's only three miles, that three miles back and forth to work adds up to, I think I've done the math on it. And I think it ends up being close to, because of how much spent, about $3 a day. Okay. So, so it sounds like there's some room for improvement here, but you know, walk us to the SUV. What's the, uh, it sounds like the minivan is necessary for the family. Walk us to the SUV and the, the numbers on that and how you think that's, that's the, um, what are the what, are, what do you have a, a debt associated with that? For example, do you have a value associated with it? No debt associated with it. We just paid cash for it, and uh, 
a two wheel drive vehicle in Idaho is usually not recommended. And so that's why we got it as, as cheap as we did. But also, again, it, it kind of goes back to what Mindy was saying about uh, housing. We bought a cheap house. We'll sell it cheap. Same goes for the vehicle. It's probably not worth much here in Idaho, but I've thought maybe I take it down to Las Vegas and sell it down there or something because it's a two wheel drive expedition, which in Idaho does not really work for most people. It okay. could be worth it to drive it down to Las Vegas and sell it. Although it, it, that's you have a Ford Expedition. Yeah. That's not a small vehicle. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. I'm telling you, sell that. Get rid of that liability. Yes, you do not need that. You can sell that in Las Vegas where they don't need four-wheel drive. Sell it and buy yourself a little Honda Accord from 1992. I'd even go even better than that. I'd probably just get an e-bike because I ride my bike in snowstorms and hot summer days alike. So, Oh, okay. Well, then ride your bike all the time. Yeah. Have your wife drop you off if it's a really, really, really awful day. Yep. Okay. Yes. Sell that right, car. So, and let me let me take another one here. I'm looking at your the rest of your budget here. And I've got... Sorry, I'm trying to break this out. But we've got categories for camping clothes, eating out, kids' expense and kids' wife fun, those types of things. And I would I would lump those all together. And I'm trying to I'm trying to get this all out here in, in one thing. But like we've got wife fun, kids fun, kids expense. Yeah, kids, kids expense is things like school related costs mostly. Okay, so that's not fun. That's those are necessities. Yeah, yeah, it's more school related costs as opposed to like kids fun would be things like uh, toys. Okay, so I think I, I think look looking at your numbers, I'm about. I think I'm just. I think I got the a key discussion point here. But we've got uh, gifts, family fun, entertainment, eating out, and clothes, and I'm seeing those as a significant set of expenses here in your overall budget. Can you walk me through kind of how you break those out or whether you budget for those or how you think about those categories? Yeah. So the the reason why, you know, this is our actual expenses here that you're, but that you're looking at. And, uh, you know, when it comes to those categories, we we're pretty minimal. You you mentioned eating out pretty minimal. there, uh, roughly two fifty a month, um, to feed a family of six is, is pretty reasonable. I feel like, and then same clothing. We buy a lot of the kids' clothing at secondhand stores just because my kids are young and they don't care. They do not care what they wear. And so, but then yeah, when you get to the gifts, those are usually gifts for other people outside of our family. Um, we do have a little bit of expense there. And then some of the, the the kids' fun and some of the family fun things are are areas where I feel like we could cut because we don't have to spend a lot just because of the area that we live. We have a lot of fun, maybe not going out and spending a lot of money, but just going to parks, going to the mountains, doing things like that. So we, we could definitely cut some areas there. I, I think what would be helpful there is to, well, I'm struggling here because you're, you're so optimal in a, lot of, in a lot of cases and you seem like you're doing so many reasonable things and leveraging the, the big ones that I'm struggling with what's the best way to, to give you advice on how to do it other than kind of keep well, going. That's, that's, what, that's what me and my wife talk about all the time. We're like, we're doing everything right. Yeah, but, but you you know you mentioned uh, in your book again, we're doing everything right, and and we will achieve financial independence probably by the time we're fifty. So um, to have quite a bit of money saved by then, and that I I think maybe uh, one of the things that people involved with the fire movement or anything like that they think oh I've got to do this by the time I'm thirty. Well, I'm already past thirty, and so 
really, it's going to happen. And I just, me, I'm like, if I am doing these optimal things for a period of 10 or so years, the, the nest egg builds, you know, I mentioned that $120,000 I think that we have in our 401k. We only started contributing to that about three and a half years ago. And so it's actually grown pretty quick. And so with the expenses, I, I think the number one is, is you look at it and realize, hey, tracking these expenses works because as we've tracked them, we're still able to save money making, you know, 70,000 to 80,000, a little bit more depending on our side hustles, but we're still able to save money um, for the future. It just, it's going to come a little bit slower when you have four kids, but it's still something that, that will come. And I think that's kind of the, the message that I see right now. But like you said, it's, it's difficult to cut more when you have so many responsibilities. Yeah, I mean, I, I look. I think I think you're doing an, an admirable job here, bringing in seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year, and what and accumulating what appears to be thirty or forty thousand dollars a year in wealth. Is that is am I am I wrong on that directionally, or, or is that what you're doing with the four hundred one k contributions and that kind of stuff? Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It's about thirty thousand or so that we're saving with that. So. I think that's incredibly impressive and that your your budget here is pretty tightly kept and pretty reasonable. I don't know what, what you're thinking. I think there's tips and tactics and you should continue diving in those. And I'm sure you'll be able to find uh, even more to carve out of there over time and, and, and to continue to accelerate that. But I think I think you're on the right track with all that kind of stuff. And that brings us back to the the income generation side of things and thinking and just being creative and continuing to take the correct shots, but with the right amount of uh, concentration. So you're balancing that time with your family and the, the income generation. I love that you're putting all the money in the 401k um, and that you're starting to invest outside of that. You've got a reasonable emergency reserve with those types of things. And yeah, I'm just incredibly impressed with how you run, run your household from, from my seat. I don't know. What, what's your reaction, Mindy? Yeah, I'm looking and I don't see a lot of opportunity to cut expenses. I do see some opportunity for income generation with the dropshipping and the welding that we were talking about. I really like the dropshipping business model because it's so not hands off, but like light hands. You don't really have to do much and you never have to take possession of the product, which is huge. I would like to see you expand your offerings and, you know, just look at what other people are selling on their welding supply companies. There was, oh, I am drawing a blank who I was talking to. They sold this one little widget for this one little tiny thing, like this one little tiny uh, niche of business, but they were the only one who sold it. So they sold a ton of it. Is there a product that's difficult to get that other people are having a hard time getting that maybe you could find a supplier for and crank that out or. Well, I, I think you're right. Yeah, Mindy, there, there's a lot of products like that, right? There's, there's uh, customers, people that want a lot of things. I know a guy who became a millionaire selling flagpole holders for ATVs. And it's just, that was his, he just took a piece of metal and he bent it and folded it. And that was that. And it, uh, worked out really well for him. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's finding that thing, right. That's uh that's the real challenge there is finding that. You know, my neighbor has an American flag outside his house. It's about 12 feet. And I've been wanting to get one that's 14 feet high for a really <laughs> long period of time. So if you could sell something that's just like, Hey, a little bit taller than your dad. That, that's that's called keeping up with the Joneses, Scott. I don't recommend it. That's right. Yeah. I'm not taking my own medicine there. Um, <laughs> um, 
No, but uh, look, I, I think, I think that's right. I think it's, I think it's about finding that creativity there and playing to your strengths and being really conscious about the time and thinking about that. I love that we have a good idea of that, that sparked some creativity around selling the products that you and your, your peers are making around that on, on, on Etsy or, or wherever they, wherever there might be opportunity for that. But yeah, I think, I think that's the key. I don't have big changes I'd make to your investment approach to your, your budget again. And it sounds like you're in a great income and have a high, a high set of skills here. It sounds like you run a really tight ship and have a wonderful family and life with it. Um, and so I, I think you're doing all, all, all the right things as much as I'd love to give you the, the secret sauce that will turn the, the corner next, next year. I mean, you're going to get rich pretty quick. And if you, if you apply this formula and if you hit a, a, a lucky stroke, not even lucky stroke. If you if you bring some discipline and, and find the right scalable business model, you might achieve that phi that much faster than your base rate implies. And get rid of that truck. Got it. <laughs> but yeah, that's the biggest percentage I think change you can make in your budget right now. But it's what it's going to be like a, a, a four or five or six percent boost to your savings rate, something like that. Yeah, possibly around there. So. Yeah, I don't think there's much to cut, but I think that your drop shipping idea is it can explode and go really, really far. Your wife does um what did you say? She does mom uh how did you phrase it? Uh things that other stay-at-home moms like. I don't I don't exactly know. Um and, and again, you know, we talked about with that, it's really it's playing to your strengths if you are gonna do something like that. It's you don't just do it and, and buy a bunch of, you know, cheap headphones or something, right? That's, that's the thing that people do a lot of when it comes to that. It's you play to what you know, where have you worked? How can you help people? Because while you worked, you knew that this was a problem. So as when I worked as a welder, there were certain things that I knew would make my job easier. And, and now I've found those things and I've tried to get them to those people. And so I think that's uh, when it comes to maybe growing a business or doing something, it's, it's what's a problem that you personally have had and how do you solve that? Because someone else probably has the same one. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, exclamation point behind all of that. That was fabulous. Okay, Court, this was really fun. This was really interesting to look into the different ways that you have started to generate income and the different, like the mindset that you have that you need to have more income streams, I think is really important for other people who are on the path to fight, don't just count on your W-2 job. Look at other things that you know to add income and add uh, stability to your financial future. No, yeah, I, look, I, 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 I think this was great. I, you know, I'm, I'm almost kind of like I'm impressed. I'm amazed. I, I think you're doing all the right things. I'm. I'm almost, you know, frustrated at how disciplined and how wonderful your your approach to personal finance is, and that, and by digging through it, I'm not able to find much that I think you could do to to optimize it outside of what you're currently doing, given given the circumstances that you presented. I think you've got it all on the right track. It's going to be some tweaks, and if you stay disciplined on this front and continue to focus on that that income side, that things are going to work out really, really well for you, you and your family with with this approach. Yeah, I appreciate that because yeah, I, you know, my wife and I we talk about this and we talk about okay, what does our future look like? How do we get there? And what can we do while we still maintain the life that we want to live right now? And uh, when we were telling, when I told her, I said, "Hey, I'm going to be on the Bigger Pockets Money Show," she said, "Oh, that's awesome." She's like, 
they're probably not going to be able to tell you a whole lot. And I said, no, these are experts. They're going to be able to tell us everything there is to know. And just in talking to you, Mindy, you've helped me to open my eyes and same Scott, you helped me realize, oh, wait a minute. What are the things I'm doing that are linear versus the things that I can change exponentially where I hadn't thought of that approach before. And, uh, you know, just one of the things I think that's been so key to, to this success that's maybe dumbfounded you guys a little bit is, is just the tracking it. You know, when, when people want to lose weight, they, they count calories. When you want to become a millionaire, you, you count pennies and you just kind of see where they're going and then you can find a place to put them to work. So love it. I, I love that. And I love the exponential thing. That's a key. Your formula right now, you, you should project it like an engineer linearly uh, as if it's nothing's going to change and see how that run rates and, and make sure that you're on track with that. But know that if you keep doing what you're doing, raises income and other sources of income, investment opportunities outside of the norm, those types of things are all going to contribute to accelerate this. So you're not as far as your model will suggest away from FI. And you will get some tailwinds, I believe, over the next couple of, of years if you keep doing what you're doing and applying that creative mindset to your problems here. You know, I think we have kind of discounted the fact that he is so laser focused on keeping track of what's going on. When you're not paying attention to where your money's going, it kind of just goes wherever. But when you know that it has to go here and it has to go here and it has to go here, or when you're tracking it and you're you're writing down, oh, I just spent how much at the grocery store? I really need to pull back next week. When it's conscious in your mind, you will continue to think about it and you will continue to act appropriately with your finances, just like the losing weight thing. Count, that was great. Counting pennies. I love that. I just uh, made but, that up, so I'm glad you loved it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. fabulous. Um, but yeah, when you're on a diet, all you can think about is being on a diet and, oh, I can't eat that Butterfinger because that's, you know, it's this big, but it's got 400 calories in it and I can't drink that Coke and I can't, you know, do all of these things. It's always conscious in your mind. And when you're paying attention to your finances, it's going to be conscious in your mind. And it isn't so much, a, you know, oh, I can't spend money on that. It's it, it turns into an, oh, how much money can I not spend this week? How can I cut my expenses more? It starts to become a game. And I think you've really done a good job with your game. You've won. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe we are, maybe we haven't won yet, but we're, we've got a good strategy that's a winning. You're strategy. almost there. Yeah. You will win. You're in this grind period, you know, you, you've, you've optimized, you've, you've, you've got everything together. And now it's just a matter of, of letting some years go by in terms of your overall formula and seeing if you can't speed that up with, with additional these, these layered thing, these things you're layering in. And in the meantime, make sure that you, I think, enjoy stop and smell the roses. Something I didn't do my first few years of FI is, is I went all out. Um, of course, I didn't, I didn't have a family at that point. But yeah, I think that that's that's the key is, is you're on the right track with this, man. I think it's, I think it's only a matter of time. Yep. Court, thank you so much today for sharing your financial picture with us and your expenses and your different philosophies. I think this is going to be very helpful to a lot of people who are listening and thinking, how can I reach financial independence with even just one kid? Well, you can do it. You just have to be conscious and track your spending. Yeah. Thank you so much, Court. Yeah. That was Court Johnson. Scott, what did you think? I thought it was a wonderful show and a frustrating show for me because my what I look forward to with these is I love it when there's a problem to uncover and to figure out and like, oh yeah, there it is. There's the we, We're able to identify the big problem in the picture and make a big change on it. 
And you know what? Like, I think Court is really on top of it. And there's a couple of things that we were able to uncover that will help tweak his position potentially and maybe give him some ideas to move him forward. But there wasn't like a big set of like new frameworks that we were able to hand Court, I think, in terms to overhaul his, his, his financial situation. So I'm just impressed at the way he manages his finances. Uh, I think he's on the right track with a lot of these things. And I don't know... You know, I, I think that that's that he's he's going to become wealthy pretty quick here. I agree, and I think the word tweak is the right word to describe the advice we gave him. I think little tiny tweaks here and there are going to have huge impacts on his finances. Absolutely, yeah. So I think I think that's great, and uh, I think it was it was very good to review someone's finances who's in in such good shape with that. I, I, you learn a lot. Um, he's probably more disciplined than me uh, on a lot of his spending by a lot, actually. But yeah, <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> yeah. So great, great, good for court and very impressive. And uh, yeah, I think I, hopefully that helps a lot of people. I mean, if you can save thirty, forty thousand dollars or build that kind of wealth annually with the family of, of six, I think a lot of other people can too. I could not agree more. Scott, towards the end of the episode, we told some ninja jokes, but I don't really like ninja jokes because I never see them coming. Oh man, that you just snuck that right in there. I love it. <laughs> this was our second finance review episode, and we had a really great time chatting with Court. If you would like for Scott and I to potentially review your finances, please apply at biggerpockets.com slash finance review. Scott, should we get out of here today? Let's do it. From episode 160 of the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, he is Scott Trench and I am Mindy Jensen, and we are going to hit the trail, little snail. The market is changing, and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom, and the best investors know it's not about timing the market, it's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into real estate investing or take it to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With the Bigger Pockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly matched with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. This free resource is only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.